Friendship Festival. Friendship Festival. Good morning, Sally Harrison. Hello, it's Oliver Braid. And welcome to this second special Emily and Oliver show as part of Friendship Festival. Yeah, that's right. Episode four of Friendship Festival. Uh, yeah, episode 43 of the Ellie and Oliver show. Oh my God, as if you couldn't get enough. And don't forget, there's only going to be 52 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> We're counting Only nine down. left. I know, they're counting down. It's really sad. Only four and a half hours left of our voices for you to download through iTunes or listen to again on Mixcloud. And then it's all change in Glasgow, but we'll talk about that more after Friendship Festival. Because this week and next weekend, it's all about being friends. And I have picked today's theme. Um, I've picked this the theme, Contradictions. And this is something that I've been wanting to do for a really, really, really long time. When I thought of the theme ages ago, months ago, I thought that's such an Ellie Oliver show theme. It's such an interesting topic. There's so much to discuss. But then it seemed like this week was the perfect opportunity to do it because it felt slightly, I don't know whether ironic's the word, but it felt... Slightly, it may be ironic is the word, it felt slightly ironic that Friendship Festival itself had been the cause of probably one of the biggest conflicts that we'd have, have had all year, which I won't go into the details of, but has been ongoing for the last week. Mm. And it just felt that there was something contradictory maybe what we were aiming to do or maybe the results of what had happened without us really realizing i just thought there was something very like i know this is a bit like eh, to talk about but very like um blurring the boundaries between uh life and i mean obviously i can't say art because the alien oliver show isn't an artwork but this idea of like because quite often i've noticed when we've had themes and we've known about the theme for the week beforehand yeah. i've quite often noticed Corollaries. Corollaries. Cor- corollaries? Colorate? What's the word? Colorate? Co- correlations. correlations. I've, I've noticed correlations often before between the, the topic for the week and things that have happened to us during the week. And sometimes it seems like God is making sure that we're really experiencing the things. And so it does seem in some way, I think, apt that during Friendship Festival, we shouldn't just talk about unions and how positive friendship is. There should be some experience of the difficulties that are, are encountered during uh, friendships. And it's it's harder to talk about that without some empirical experience, I think. So, so, so it's it's a good exercise. It was very difficult emotionally, but I think it was it, 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 we can resolve it in a it positive way. It has been difficult emotionally, um, and I guess it's made me realise I can be quite a brutal cunt at times. Whoa, God! Uh, that I can tell you that will actually be the the first, but not the last time that the c word will be f- featuring on the Ellen Oliver show today. So, apologies to any. Under 18 listeners, <laughs> or any over 18 listeners who are easily offended. But it's like this morning we had to sit down and have quite a long, drawn out conversation prior to doing the radio show about mm-hmm. this argument and the conflict that had arisen as a result. I might just add that this is an argument that's been, well, mediated, if you like, by 
Virgin Trains. The, I don't know whether Virgin Trains are the cause of the argument or whether Virgin Trains are... Um, the they, they've exacerbated... The I, would say th I would say that they were a catalyst. A catalyst, that's the word. So basically... We accidentally bought two sets of train tickets. Oh, it's we now, is it? That's interesting, because all week it's been me. It's but for the purpose of radio, Ellie's taken a much more pragmatic approach than she would do in real life. It's it now, now a joint effort, a joint mistake. Go on, go on. Stop talking over me, young man. Come on, then. It's contradictory to have two voices saying different things at the same time. Tell that to Paul McKenna's hypnotic si uh, CD selection. Oh yeah, he likes to really maximise on the stereo <laughs> surround sound. Um, okay, so basically we bought two sets of train tickets for all our guests to come up to Glasgow at an additional cost of £440 on my credit card. And then this became like a really protracted like argument with Virgin Trains over like various call centers in India and emails that are getting responses saying we'll reply to you within one month and stuff. Anyway, very, 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 very frustrating. And um, obviously, I think what, what I noticed, I suppose, in this instance, is that when money comes into an argument, um, Manners Appar go out the window, well, apparently. Manners go out the window, but also, like, um, it exacerbates maybe the contradictions for me at the heart of my role, dual role, as being, like, your friend and your landlady. Because being a landlady mm. is essentially quite an evil capitalist yes. thing to do yes and i'm quite uneasy with that didn't seem that uneasy position. with it so like and i think that it, i'm uneasy with it because it's essentially a contradiction with the things that i believe to be um right in the world the things that i believe to be right and the things that i believe to be just but i don't think that that is actually true i think that the, the, the a better way to say that sentence was that it contradicts with the things that you wish that you believed in above other things but actually i think that there are other beliefs at play in your life that you would rather not have but perhaps you do have them it's almost impossible not to have those beliefs if you think about the society that we grow up in and the fact that like um but maybe it's that your attitude towards them isn't actually the proposition of belief perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's changing the word belief to something else so like desire yeah that but it contradicts the desires for the person that you'd like to be or the person that you'd like to be perceived as but actually you have this other desire which is for but the finance. Thing is, I also <laughs> think the, 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 the desire for the person that I'd like to be isn't actually possible in the society that we live in because if you think about property and housing, which mm -hmm. is what this all this whole issue comes down to, like when Margaret Thatcher came into power, oh, yeah. her, you know, her mission was to make everybody, um, to make the country a country of homeowners. Not, home. not homos. I got a bit excited then. <laughs> that that <laughs> was slightly contradictory for the woman who inaugurated Section 28, <laughs> whatever it's called. Homeowners? 
But, you know, she did that by bringing in some very, very, very kind of radical, vicious policies which did away with all social housing. So mm. not only was that, you know, there wasn't an alternative to being a homeowner because so the social housing that had been built up post-war to provide for people so that they didn't have to mm -hmm. get into, like, this um, negotiations with private landlords, you know, she dismantled it piece by piece. So, like, I feel... And there's something that I'd like to talk about more in terms of the contradictions of capital, that the person that I'd really like to be is compromised by the society that we live in. Uh, yeah, I, mm, I, d I don't know if it's particularly relevant to this situation because the, pr the problem was, that, and we've already discussed it, but the problem was this week that actually you blended together the role of friend and landlady and you didn't make a separation between the two and that's really where the crux of our argument lies was that you kind of abused your power of land of, as landlady in a situation in which actually you being my landlady shouldn't have really come into it and that's the problem that that there was just a, a, a crossing over of those two it is. It is uh, a problem, and I've apologised, and I apologise live on air again. Sorry, <laughs> but um, I hope so. The thing, because I mean, I'm really fascinated with this idea of contradiction, and I sent you a link to a lecture by David Harvey. Yes, you did on your on your Facebook page, where he he kind of just explores the contradictions that he sees in the system. Well, in Marxist capital. Mm. But he describes it in... I recommend anyone to watch this video on YouTube, but he describes it in a way that you can really kind of identify with. Because um, he sets up by defining what contradiction is, and he gives two different definitions. The first would be the Aristotelian definition, oh, okay. which would be for someone to say, like, I am a woman, and then to say, I am not a woman. Mm -hmm. like so formal logic, the contradiction yeah. of formal logic. Yeah, that's a logical contradiction. Yeah. But the contradictions in capital are kind of Marx's definition of contradiction. He describes it by talking about somebody, say a woman, mm -hmm. who has... The actually, sorry, I said it was formal logic. I think it's actually modal logic. But go on. Sorry, Oliver. <laughs> um... The, say a woman who has two distinct desires, you may say. Mm -hmm. So it has the desire to become a successful businesswoman, yeah. for example, but at the same time has the desire to have a loving family, to have children, to have the security and the closeness of a kind of family environment. But what he says is that you can, a person, any person, and we all do this all the time, like, because one of the other things that I've got in one of my notebooks that I always keep coming back to is to be alive is to be a hypocrite, and I think hypocrisy and contradiction is very closely related, but this... Yeah, let's um, talk about that in this, a bit. This idea of um, that you can live with these contradictions, we live with these contradictions, and that it's only at points of crisis where one thing slightly outweighs the other, that we have to address them and that we yeah. have to try to rebalance things. Um, and so if you relate that to the system of capital, then that's what happens. These contradictions exist within the system and they exacerbate each other continually, but the system continues to function until one overpowers the other and then you reach a point of crisis. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm interested in the fact that you mentioned hypocrisy and contradiction because one of the things that I think is interesting about contradiction and it comes up whenever we have arguments and I think it comes up a lot when people have arguments because they grasp onto it as a manipulative tool in order to win an argument where you can say well you're contradicting yourself now you can't believe a and b at the same time both a and b can't be true because that makes you a hypocrite and so therefore your argument is invalid but actually that sounds like like a philosophical fallacy because people do have contradictory arguments at all time and so to use contradiction in an argument in as a pejorative thing or is is almost to say well you can't be right because you're a human your your argument is invalid because yeah. you're a human being. So and so and actually, like this fear of contradiction and the use of contradiction as a, as a fear-inducing uh, tool, or to make people feel inferior for having contradictions, it, it seems like that's actually what we need to um, get rid of. Because I was thinking, like, sometimes we do things that are contradictory. We, as in the entire human race. Well, let's say sometimes I do think sometimes I do one thing and sometimes I do another thing. But a lot of the time I don't necessarily notice it until somebody else picks up on it and says, well, you've done that and you've done that. And then I feel bad about it. But until that time, until it's frozen in time for me as two specific occasions, I don't necessarily have that neuroticism about. See, I really do have the neuroticism. I think the neuroticism in a way is the. Is the is the is the driving force of my practice as an artist? But it's almost like a um, self policing, but in a really frightening. Because who's where? Where has this come from that there has to be a unification? Well, I I don't because I feel that. Uh, if do you know where I think it came from? Go on. I think it's based in instrumental rationality or instrumental reason. Because contradiction prevents, or for me, when I conceive of the word contradiction, I think of it as a kind of blockage or something that seems to halt or slow down the idea of progress. And so it would only be an instrumentally reasoned mind or an instrumentally rational mind that would insist on the uh, the eradication of contradiction because it stands in the way of people getting what they want or what they think is best for progress and isn't it actually just i mean i assume it's in marx in some way because marx is derived or or has some relation to hegel i don't know like this the kind of dialectic and the dialectic is all about erasing contradiction is it not rather than and because that sees history as a continuous flow yeah um, rather than just a load of blobs of things happening. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at the system of capital, and you're right, exactly right about the co- the dialectic, because the dialectic is too contradictory, like opinions or um, like modes of existence that then reach some sort of synthesis. And if you look about look at the system of capitalism over time, that it does reach these points of crisis, but then it kind of resolves them through a rebalancing and then it continues but that's the scary it's that's resilience that it's always going to continue that is quite terrifying oh <laughs> should we have a song do you think i think we need to like is it know. my song first yes it is okay lovely so keeping along on the same theme of like well i chose this this is by a lady called kevin blackton who i'm a big fan of a lady 
lady called Kevin. A lady called Kevin. She used to be a band called Blackton from Blackton, and now she's a solo artist called Kevin Blackton. She's a very interesting woman. I've been really into her for about six or seven years, and I just haven't had a chance to play her yet. This song is called Interspecies Love, and I think it's a little bit about doing something that might be contradictory to what the majority feel. And also specifically, like I think she mentions something like, what are my friends going to say or what will my mother think? Things like that. How those people in your life make you feel as if you are doing something contradictory because you're contradicting a a general system or a set of assumptions that other people have made about the way that you would conduct yourself. Sounds brilliant. I think we should talk about that topic more after. Thank you. 
Hello, it's Ellie. Hello. We're back. That was a good song, Oliver. It's nice, isn't it? Quite cheerful. I know you're not human, but you're turning me on. My mum is going to kill me when she hears this song. Oh my God, your mum's going to kill you when she hears this radio I know, show. I know, bloody hell. Thank God she just doesn't I tell you though, Ellie, another thing. I did think that another way that we could talk about this show, like another, another an alternate name for this show almost could be Passions. Because, yeah, because we're torn constantly between... Well, one of the things I was thinking about a lot when I thought about Friendship Festival, and I said this to a couple of people who asked me about it, mm. was um, as artists specifically, but as, as lots of in, in lots of different fields, I think that our friendships and our relationships that we have with people, yeah. because they alter our moods, they alter the way we think about things, they have such a big impact on us. I think that they... For artists, anyway, it must, even if it's not particularly embedded into your work, it must impact on your creative output, whether you feel happy or whether you feel sad, whether you've had an argument this morning. So therefore, I think like the the most important thing about friendship in that in that way is that it impacts, it has the potential to shape culture mm. because people are really feeding into it. But then, mm-hmm. what I was thinking about particularly, because I'm quite a big fan of Spinoza. Are you? Quite a big fan of Spinoza. A very, such a beautiful thinker. Such a beautiful thinker. If if not slightly rational. But you know what's very interesting about Spinoza is that he's a very early advocate in a way of kind of CBT, actually. Cognitive right. behavioural therapy. Because he he sort of thought that we were constantly in flux because of passions from the outside. Mm. And what we needed to do was find a way inside ourselves to be f- the the only way that we could be free because I don't think he really believed in free will because he believed that the world was rationally laid out but he did believe that we could become free to the certain extent that we could free ourselves from the effects of passions mm. so but then I wondered where that sat in terms of like if friendship affects your work um but then to free yourself from passions would be to actually free yourself from those effects of if, people. But if you think about like what you were saying before the break about um, how I d- this instrumental rationality, which I don't totally understand what you mean by that, but this idea of like the reason that you might try to remove con- contradiction from, uh, from your life, mm-hmm. for me, in a sense, because I did actually last year set about towards the end of last year trying to remove contradiction from yeah. my life. Like it was one of my projects yeah. to try to create this sort of synthesis in the way that I lived and what I believed in. And there's this phrase actually, the value action gap, which I think is something that's used in business terminology mm. or something. But it's the gap between what you believe in, what you actually do, and how like all of us all over the world really need to try to close that gap because we essentially we are c- compassionate human beings, are we not? But well, the problem is... I don't know. I mean, we can't apply that. But I think problems arise when we don't believe in the way or we don't, we don't behave ourselves in the way that we think society as a whole should behave. But, well, yeah, but, then, but the problem with that is because this goes back to instrumental reason because what, what it sounds like what you're describing is like Kant's moral imperative like you should only perform in the world that which you would wish to be applied to the whole of the world you know like in a in a christian sense do unto others how you wish was done unto you or whatever that guy said (laughs) jesus but that is what i kind of believed because i felt i might i felt that unless i did that unless like as candy said i lived the change i wanted to see in the world Mm -hmm. like 
I would always feel this conflict and I would always feel this contradiction which would eat me up from the inside and I wouldn't be totally free and I wouldn't be totally happy. But it's like you create an objective system then, but the problem with it is that if it comes from you, then it's simultaneously subjective. So like, I mean, you could say, yeah, like, and I suppose when I say instrumental reason or instrumental rationality, I'm taking it from like what I think is connected to critical theory and kind of Frankfurt School, like post Second World War. And they right. saw the trajectory from the Enlightenment up until that period of time, like trying to resolve things right. and in, in progress and trying to progress. And and the, the culmination of that or the most extreme culmination of it would have been the death camps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, oh my God. Because because that is. Yeah. No, I see what you mean there. Like it's it, it's 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 I guess the end of history. Or, or I think Adorno said like there's no historical trajectory that leads from slavery to emancipation, but there is historical trajectory that leads from the slingshot to the neutron bomb. Oh my God. But yeah. The, but. I I can I I know the whole anti-progress rhetoric. You know that's what postmodernism was all about, Mm -hmm. like this kind of like breaking down of these grand narratives. And of course, Marxism is one of those grand narratives. But in terms of how you deal with your own life, I know progress is futile because you're just progressing towards your own death. But I don't think I don't. I think it's important for us not. I think we have to find a new way of finding progress because I was. I was thinking, right, I have to say this because I thought it yesterday and I just thought it was really interesting. I'm sure people talk about this all the time, but for me, it was a new discovery. I was thinking, like, one of the reasons, because we all know that I love Kant right now, right? One of the reasons that Kant had to try and resolve the system was because he was pissed off with David Hume, because David Hume's philosophy at the most extreme said that there's no such thing as causality. And if there's no such thing as causality in the world then how can you build philosophical systems because there is no cause and effect, so it doesn't really make sense. Just loads and a whole series of impressions that you form into ideas. And so, But what Kant did was say, like, well, causality doesn't exist in the world, but it does exist within us. So he sort of found... and Because I, I think that Hume's... This idea that there's no causality is like an impasse in the same way that kind of postmodernism and progress is an impasse, and what we need is someone to come and find where the the niche is that we can sort that problem out and maybe there is a resolution to it uh, there's some similarity between saying causality doesn't exist and then that progress isn't possible but progress i don't actually think progress is possible i think we need to regress more often like next year i'm going to be regressing more than progressing like i'm going to be removing things from my life i think i've built up too much there's too much stuff around me like you know when i was thinking i said well we say that but we're sat in an empty white box with no <laughs> no decoration or <laughs> furniture for a lounge i was thinking about the oliver braid outlet i'm 26 and i've got nothing mm-hmm. and i thought I'm 26 and I've got nothing. You should be fucking proud of that because having stuff is just like having all this shit that surrounds you. It's having responsibility. It's having burden. It's having stuff to deal with. Having Being 26 and having nothing is, is, an, is an achievement. And I think that regression is an achievement. So next year, I'm going to be like stripping down and getting rid of stuff. Like I'm going to be like paring down my life. Like I told you, I'm going to be wrapping up loose ends and I'm going to be like chucking everything. Well, if you decide to, if you decide to give up those two flats and uh, the collection of artworks that you've got and anything else worth money, you just let me know, put me in the will. I'll gladly take it off your hands. What do you you mean put me in the will? You think I'm going to kill myself as well? 
I don't think it will. Well, it would be the ultimate act of removal. Oh my god! It would be the true sacrifice for the planet, wouldn't it? Well, this is the thing. Like, if, you think, <laughs> if you think about um, Camus and you think about like absurdism and mm-hmm. stuff, and if you think like when I was doing my MA, I said, "Why do we continue making art?" Like in the age of environmental crisis in the age of overproduction when there's too much crap in the world anyway you know the logical conclusion is to stop making art and the logical conclusion to thinking through all these problems because i'm a carbon making machine you know all i do all day is sit around and breathe out carbon (laughs) like that's all i fucking do yet all the world needs is you know the last thing the world needs is more and more and more carbon so but that's uh, but that i would say that that's another feature of instrumental reason because you're making yourself too much like a machine. But I You're am thinking. I know. I know. Oh, but I'm are you? Are you a machine? I am a machine, and I'm a walking contradiction. Wow, it's <laughs> very uncontradictory way to end. Right. Well, that's it then. That's resolved, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to resolve because we've. Well, potentially. I mean, that's that's how we've been. Maybe we could just talk on forever. I think we need to play my song. Okay, let's play out on your song. Okay. At least it's a nice one to end on. It's I'll nice. Let you introduce. I'm playing it because it's um, we we went out last Saturday night with our guest for Friendship Festival, the lovely Steffi Moore and Paris Lee and Laurie and Rosanna, Whoop. and we hung out in the arches. And I was actually in a very party mood because I was still getting over my little bout of illness the previous week. But there's these contemporary dancers that did this routine. Very good routine. I thought it was amazing. It just oh. made me want to throw myself onto the floor. Actually, I was pushed out of the way by a lesbian. It was really... It wasn't Ellie. <laughs> it was really, really, really <laughs> hot, though, because w- one of them was, like, in a suit jacket. And anyway, they danced this song called The 212 by Azealia Banks, which is so banging. I really, 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 really like it. And I was trying to philos- philosophize about why this might be relevant. Like relevant to contradictions, and I was just trying to think about like the two in the one. Well, oh no, I was thinking about in terms of binary, like, and how the whole world is made. Well, that's the problem. But is is it because I mean we can't, we don't have time for this discussion now. But if we stop thinking about, if we contradiction, contradiction, if we live our lives as contradictions, then we're in this kind of non-binary. I can't. There's like a Derrida term for it, like indecidable. If you're an indecidable, then you're removed from uh, the dialectic. You're removed from the relationship because your position can't be pinned down in the first place to become either the synthesis, well, sorry, the thesis or the antithesis. I know, but that's what we, we're the differ- difference. Well, we are a bit now. I'd like to be. Do you like to observe the difference? Let's just dance. <laughs> Although I think that is Leotard. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Get any in. I just can't get any in. I just can't get any in.
town Ain't nigga, you know what summer, don't you? Murder who made ya? I'm a rude bitch, nigga What are you made of? I'ma eat your food up, dude I could bust your eight I'ma do one, two Fuck it, gun do All you do make bucks I'ma look right, nigga But you do one, two Fuck Fuck em like you do one, two Come, you gated Cause it's covered I'm a two-one deuce Cock, I'm licking in the water By the blue bayou Caught the warm goose And you do rag two sons Nigga, you're a Kool-Aid dude Plus your bitch might flick it Wonder who let you Come to one, two What'd you do to crew, son? Fuck are you in two, huh? Niggas better who run, run You could get shot, homie If you want to Put your guns up Tell your crew don't front I'm a hoodlum, nigga You know you were two ones Bitch, I'm about to blue up too I'm the one, two, day I'm the new ship The young Rapunzel Who are you, bitch, new lunch?